So, um, Kevin, when you you've got a, a, a we were just talking about this YouTube uh, video of you. Uh, how how much of your time do you spend in front of audiences? Uh, like, you know, how, how often is that a thing for you? you know, it's a side hobby that's just uh, that's evolved, but I'm still full time community college vice president. So I do maybe 15 to 20 uh, keynotes or speaking um, engagements a year. So it's, it's definitely not my full time full-time gig, but, um, but I love it. And at some point, maybe those two roles will, will reverse. Uh, like for many of our kids, sometimes plan B becomes plan A and vice versa. Um, but I, I love, I love working with, with schools and with districts, colleges and students, just kind of helping them navigate life after 12th grade. So I do, I do a little bit of it. Some of the animation videos take a chunk and right now I'm working on my fourth book. So that takes a chunk of time. So like all of us just spinning, spinning plates and still trying to be a good dad. Uh, I, I, uh, I can relate. I, I know that, that, that drill. Um, so, uh, well, so welcome to everybody. It is, uh, it's showtime. We've got a slightly, uh, delayed show this morning. We're doing a holiday special time, uh, uh, mostly to make sure that we can accommodate, um, our guest, Kevin Fleming. We had this conversation, uh, about bringing Kevin on. It was like, we really want to have Kevin on. Kevin is, uh, located, uh, in California. Yeah. California. Yeah. Southern California. And um, in California, it's weird. They follow this different time zone thing. And <laughs> um, and Kevin was like, look, I can try to be on at 445, but I don't know that that would go well. Uh, and so uh, so for Kevin right now, it's still 645, still bright and early uh, on, the, on the West Coast. But or I'm sorry. Now, you know, sorry, 7 a.m. Uh, uh, on, on the West Coast, but uh, 10 a.m. here on the East Coast. Thank you, Kevin, so much for uh for making this happen it's awesome to have you here oh my pleasure thanks for having me yeah this is great so uh uh, uh kevin i i actually you just said you're finishing your fourth book uh talk to us just a, a little bit about um your books your your authorship what's your uh what have you been writing yeah i um well thanks chef for asking i i, I consider myself a uh, a recovering academic elitist so I did the traditional uh, educational pathway um, and got a bunch of degrees and then realized I couldn't get a job. And so a lot of my research and work is really fixing that, that chasm in helping people prepare with intentionality for what they want to do with their life and not just to get degrees for the sake of getting them. So my first book was called Redefining a Goal, and that was written for an audience of educators to help them really understand that commencement is not the goal, but it's a milestone. And the goal is really what happens after that and what people do with their lives and in their communities. Uh, my second book um, was on a, a really niche area of higher education. Uh, it's called Program Discontinuance and Viability, uh, really helping uh, faculty and administrators um, change their career technical education programs over regularly. My third book was a children's book. Uh, my daughter's now five. And so I read a lot of children's book and nothing really hit the mark for our field and talking about all the different careers they could have. So, so that's a children's book called There's a Hat for That. And you follow a little monkey through all the different industry sectors and trying on different hats, um, a construction hat, an engineering hat, of course. And then um, my fourth book is going to be for parents and it's tentatively titled Life After 12th. Love it. That's exciting. Do you have a, a target release date for that? November 2022. We just got the, the first draft is being refined right now. And then you got to go through the whole production cycle. So I'm looking at a, a pre-Christmas release next year. Wonderful. That's exciting. And, and uh, you know, so, so purpose-driven education, that is our uh, you know, topic for today. And you know uh, that, you know, this is 
an audience, our audience, Stacey and I, uh, every, everybody that joins us, you know, either a contractor, uh, an engineer, architect, or services the, the you know, construction community uh, in, in some way, maybe a developer. Um, and, uh, and so th that is, I know that your experience is outside of that as well, right? You're, you're bridging all, all different types of, um, you know, occupational settings in your educational background, uh, you, you know, but bearing in mind that we're going to be talking about the, the building industry, I want to invite the audience, as always, please shoot in your questions. You should have some great ones based on uh, the, the topic today, which I think is extremely relevant to the building industry. Um, and uh, Stacy, uh, engage with that audience, as you always do, and make sure that we gather uh, great um, uh, questions that we can pose to Kevin in the final 10 minutes. And then one quick heads up uh, is that uh, Stacy and I have planned a couple of giveaways uh, through the course of the conversation today. So keep your eye on the chat. Stacy's going to be hitting you with a couple of quiz questions. First person to answer wins. Uh, and we'll share with you uh, what, what the opportunities are uh, for, for the giveaway today. I hope Am I eligible? Uh, yeah, Kevin, no, you're out. Uh, you are, you do not qualify, <laughs> Yeah, but you get two points for asking. I think that took, uh, that was good. <laughs> the points don't matter. All right, good. <laughs> All right, cool. Stacey, we'll see you with 10 minutes to go. Right, uh, so audience, we look forward to hearing your questions and, uh, and, you know, hopefully uh, a couple of you guys get our quiz questions, right? So we can send you some cool stuff. Uh, see you soon, Stacey. See ya. All right. Um, so Kevin, let's. Um, let's dig in. I, I think, you know, we, in conversation leading up to this um, uh, interview today, we talked about this idea that there's, you know, a message for educators and there's a message for students and there's a message for employers. And I think for our, for our uh, audience today, it makes sense to focus on, on employers and, uh, and students, you know, families, if you will, parents which uh, I think we can all, um, you know, many of us can relate to. And, and uh, you know, if maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're actually a student and you're checking this out, uh, it'd be relevant. Uh, the, you know, questions along those lines would be relevant as well. So you mentioned earlier, um, how do we help students to realize it's not just about commencement? Uh, give me more on that. How do we help students to realize that? Yeah, so we we have a whole educational system, and I'm, I'm in that system, so I, I can poke at it with a, a fair amount of love and affinity, but we have a public educational system in America that is really set up for commencement and for university uh, baccalaureate attainment. That's primarily what this system was always set up for. So first, as, as employers, we have to acknowledge that, that that's what the system's gonna get. If you look at how they're funded, if you look at what are the metrics are in education, it's, it's very much directed towards a couple very specific outcomes, and they're not often in aligned with what the labor market needs. Um, I've spent at least 10 years really in the manufacturing, industrial automation, uh, robotics space, and, and our, our systems are just not set up to help students engage hands-on and to have work-based learning and to really tease out um, some of those other, other outcomes other than commencement. And so, so a, a part of this structural challenge we have is we all have the same ultimate goal, we want our, our students and our children to have a great educational experience. We want them to find a career they love. We want them to be productive members of, of the citizenry in our community. We define that 
success differently. So the first, I think, maybe aha moment is for employers that want to bridge this gap. They want to work together with schools. The first thing is really to, to realize that they have a different, different set of metrics that they're trying to fulfill that motivates them. And it's not the same metrics we have. Schools are not rewarded by actually creating a, a large pipeline of trained workers. Shocking. That's what we want, but that's actually not what they're designed or incentivized to do. Right. Yeah. There's this, the, the, um, the love of education and I love education. I think, I think the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of learning is a very, very worthwhile endeavor. And, uh, you know, personally read all kinds of books that I'm not going to necessarily use in my occupation, but I think that maybe the appropriate space for that kind of learning is maybe in books on your free time. <laughs> but when you're going to school as you're, as you're, you know, you're spending, uh, you know, when it's your job to be a student, it, on some level, we have to be, I think, uh, considering the fact that once that's done, you're actually going to have a job. And that's so, right. And so, be, you know, what, what is it as, that you're learning that is going to be applicable? And I think there's the, the purpose-driven education piece. Now, so, so uh, you mentioned, I'm going to get it wrong, uh, but, but you, you and I yesterday, you said a word. I was like, I'm going to get him to say this publicly. Oh. Ikagai? Yeah, Ikigai. All right, so the, I learned about this last year. So here's what I want you, if, for all those listening, uh, if you're on the treadmill or if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're in front of your computer, if you can go to your phone, open up a new tab and, and Google image this word. It's called Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. And if you Google image that, you're going to see this image of a Venn diagram with four circles. And Ikigai is a Japanese philosophy of, of, of getting that intrinsic motivation, and it's a reason for living. It's poorly translated as the thing that wakes you up in the morning. We might loosely define that in Western culture as purpose, uh, but that's a poor translation of it. But it really aligns four different things. And so the concept of Ikigai says you want to identify um, what can you get paid to do, what do you love to do, what does the world need and what are you actually good at? And if you can get this, those overlapping circles, if you can find the thing or the few things that hit the bullseye in all four of those dimensions, you're going to have a reason for getting up in the morning. You're going to want to labor. You're going to want to contribute. You're going to love what you do. And, and imagine if I like to, to, I like a lot of what ifs, Chad, what if our school system actually focused on helping students find their ikigai instead of helping them just go through commencement and graduate? It'd be a whole different structure in helping students learn what they love and what they're good at and what problems the world has that needs solving instead of get a degree in philosophy like I was initially taught to do. As a parent of three, I am really, really glad that there are people like you out there fighting the good fight, trying to make sure that our educational systems do that. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do right away is I'm going to start to weave that thought process into my conversations with my kids. And, awesome. And, right. And I think I think I think that's something that all of us can do. Uh, but but meanwhile, I think there's there, that. I mean, that's I've all my you know when I was a kid, my dad always told me is if you do something that you're passionate about and that you're really good at, chances are pretty good that money is going to find you. Um, uh, yes. As long as you're doing something that people care about. <laughs> right? That's so, right. So that was that was the uh, that was the X factor. And uh, you know, uh, turns out you, you know I. Uh, I missed my calling. I should have become a professional video game player. Evidently, that, in fact, is a thing. It's um, a thing now. You're, you were just a decade too early. That's all. I was just a decade too early. You nailed it. It's exactly how too early I was. Um, and, and the thing I love about Ikigai is, and, and, and you have children, a lot of the, the people listening are kids. My daughter's five. She loves to build. 
She loves yeah. blocks, Legos, like her first Erector set. She loves to build things. And frankly, she loves to knock them down with as much tenacity. She might be a future demolition supervisor or something. She, but she loves to, to create and build what kids don't, right? Fast forward 10 years. And how many teenagers are, are playing with blocks and, and building as much? Something happens in that span. But looking at Ikigai, they love it. And they're, and they're good at it. Then we don't keep reinforcing it. So, so yeah, I think as wearing our parent hat and then also wearing our employer hat, I think it's important to say, okay, how do we give people the opportunity in the space to practice the things they love, to practice the things they're good at, so they can get great at it? And that includes, of course, uh, you know, building and, and engineering and design. Yeah, and Lord knows uh, they can get paid to do it, and there's a need for it. So that's right. Let's talk about the 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 what what it is to be an employer. How can employers play a, a more meaningful role in driving um, the student population to consider uh, the building industry? Absolutely. There's, there's a short-term game and there's a long-term game. Um, so what, what a lot of people think they need to do is just go visit a classroom, give a presentation, and get to know the principal, and all of a sudden you're going to have this trained pipeline of workers, and that's insufficient. That That's not going to work. It's really a three to five year game, and that's a short-term game, to change the structure of the system a little bit. We have to change the DNA of the school, and it goes beyond just one interpersonal relationship. The long-term game, the 10-year game, for those that are in this for the long haul, we actually have to change state policy. And that's, and that's the answer. And the example I can give is South Carolina. They changed state tax code to incentivize apprenticeships. And over a 10-year period, they saw a 20-year, 20 times increase, rather, of their uh, formal apprenticeship programs. And that's that's union or non-union. And so that's, that's a longer-term play. So I'd say short-term, we have to build the actual programs into the school. And here's one way to look at it. Think uh, If everyone can think about the two closest high schools to you, do they both have strong construction trade programs? And if the answer is no, or I don't know, then that's where you start. And you start right there by getting a bunch of employers to show up at the school board and just say, we have great paying jobs. We provide great standard of living. There's a need. You have students that have this desire. How do we partner? What do we have to do to start a program? That's a three to five year dialogue. That's not going to happen overnight. So that's like your short term. The long term is having that same conversation with elected officials and actually looking at tax incentives and education code to prioritize hands-on construction trade programs in at least 51% of schools. And, and that's both uh, middle school, high school, and, and community college. That's an that's a eight to 10 year game. It's a really difficult proposition, I think, in, in particularly for the, the vast majority of construction companies that are you know, less than 100 employees, that are not rolling in millions of dollars of profit every year that they can reinvest into their businesses. Um, it's a very difficult proposition, I think, to get these employers to act. I would even say, yeah, I think you kind of have to act unselfishly to do this. I know that it's 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 long it maybe it's long-term selfish, but but you have to go into this idea that I, I'm not just setting up this pipeline for me. I'm setting up this pipeline for our industry, and that may benefit my competition. Um, yeah. Well, I, I would say it's okay to be selfish. I'd say you show up and you say you need, you want to make sure you have a trained workforce for the next five to seven years. Right. And if, and if that's you, if that resonates, then this is actually, it's okay to be selfish. This is you getting the best employees that you can out of middle schools and high schools and community colleges so that you have a bench of, of great folks to, to choose from. I'd say be selfish about it. 
Um, and everyone's busy. A lot of listeners, they're you're running your own business. There's you know there's small contractors, maybe 50 employees or less. I'd say I'd ask just for two hours. Give two hours in 2022. Go to two board meetings, one hour each in 2022. That's my ask. That's the initial call to action. Go to your local school board. What for one hour twice this year. And if you can have even just 10 or 15 employers show up and do that at the same school board every single month, there's two contractors filling out a little card to, to, to give your 30 seconds at the podium that says, I need your help and we have great jobs. Eventually they will hear you. But if everyone just did two hours a year, that's how we change this. Wow. I love that. I mean, I think it, it's, there's a power there's, there's, I, you got to do the math on that. I think exponentially, uh, it could be massively impactful if everybody uh, did that. I I, ju I just wrote it down. I'll be I'll be making that step. Uh, I'll be taking that step this year for sure for the building industry. That's what makes a difference. And I you know I I've met a lot of school board and a lot of you know university trustee members. They're good people. They want what's best for their students. They're typically not malicious. Ninety nine percent of them are altruistic good people, right? So so when when they have this steady stream of information coming at them, they only know what they know. And they may not have been in the construction trade. So when you start pinging them every single month with tenacity and with fidelity over time, they're going to they're gonna hear you and eventually they will respond. And that, that's the, that's the three-year game. So, so back to speaking as a parent here, um, you know, and, and, and I have to put my, what I know about the building industry off to the side and all the opportunities that exist for, for just, just for a moment to ask this question. I think uh, a lot of parents fear getting their children involved in the building industry because there's some sort of mindset or mentality that these jobs are bad, that they are going away, that they are, right, that everything's going to be automated, um, that these aren't uh, the ideal kinds of jobs, you know, that, that people should want. What would you say to parents who fear getting their children involved in the building industry? Well, well, first they can call my brother who did the inverse. He got his bachelor's degree in TV and film production only to later become a general contractor. So sometimes <laughs> you can want the best thing for someone and then they go down this path and realize it's not in alignment with who they are. Um, and I think every parent would agree with the philosophy of Ikigai. And I would say to them, well, don't your child, don't you want them to do what they love and what they're good at and what they can get paid to do that solves a problem the world has? No parent with any conscious can say, no, I don't want that at all. I just want them to get a piece of paper in, in psychology because that was <laughs> like, no, right? So they, they, they want, but, but I would say we can historically look at automation and robotics. Um, the example I like to share is uh, the ATM in the financial services industry. I tell parents this and, and I wrote about my book. Do you, do you remember back in, in the 90s when ATMs first came out, late 80s, early 90s, there was this big scare that all the tellers we're gonna get fired and we're gonna automate the banking industry. Well, if you look before ATMs and after ATMs, there's more workers in the financial services industry. When you walk in now, they're doing a lot more than just being a teller. They're helping us with financial investments and getting a mortgage and, and, and a Roth IRA and all these other things, right? But there's more employees. Even if we get 3D printers, on the job site that helps us build, we're still gonna need people to set up, maintain and clean up and do quality control on these builds. So automation is not going to get rid of the, the, the head count or the number of jobs in, the, in, in this industry. It's just gonna increase the number in a different skill set in a different way. Um, so, so we might have to learn new things about artificial intelligence and robotics, and, and, but it's not, it's not gonna change the fact that there's still a great industry with a good workforce. It just might change some of the hands-on skills we need to adopt along the way. Well, it changes uh, um, what the 
skill set for preparing for a career in the trades might look like as the as technology and and innovation changes what building looks like but it doesn't change the fact that again those 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 uh students that that love building are passionate about doing it are good at it that that if we can train if we can you know leverage that passion and get them trained up so that they can be prepared maybe it looks totally different 30 years from now but i think what i'm hearing you say is don't be afraid uh to to, to get your look any industry is going to change that's right every industry is going to adapt and it's all going to look different you know and and you know for for that's what progress looks like that's right we don't progress want it to look the same Right. And, and exactly. every industry, I mean, just look at the last year and a half, how many industries because of the pandemic have completely changed and adopted new technology and different ways of operating that we, we there was a recent McKenzie uh, report that says we as a society evolved 10 years in the last year in terms of our technological, you know, advancement and adoption. Every industry is going to change. We can't fear automation and robotics. Is it not being, but I'd also tell parents that this is one of the few industries you can't outsource. You know, my doctor outsources reading the x-rays. My, my accountant outsources filling out some of the, the tax forms. You can't outsource many elements of, of construction and engineering. And so this is actually more um, re resist resistant uh, to at least that economic force than other industries. I'd be more fearful of my child going into accounting uh, in the next 20 years than I would at the construction and building trades. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so, so we have... Um... In my, in my opinion, and I think many others, we have this really interesting paradox that that has to be solved. And and what we've been discussing today, I think, is the path through it, both the short game and the long game, as you've described. Where we've got, we, we're not at zero percent unemployment in the United States. That's right. So so roughly, how many Americans are are today without jobs? American citizens without jobs. As of yesterday, it was 6.9 million Americans, 4.2% unemployment rate. So from a labor market perspective, we have about seven, let's, let's round up from 6.9 million, it's called 7 million. So we there's have 7, 7 million, million Americans. We have 7 million now. Americans sitting at home who, who don't have work. That's right. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet, Chad, a lot of them, when they were kids, like to build. And a lot of them today still might like to create and they might want to have a legacy that outlives themselves and and supports things beyond even even their vitality of life and i and i think a lot of them we failed as a system as a community as an educational construct we failed those 7 million human beings i i think we were designed to work i think we were created to labor i think we have a something in our dna that we want to produce and give back and 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 make things and i think we failed 7 million people by by either directly or indirectly convincing them that this isn't a viable opportunity for them. And I think we vilified hard work as I like to quote Mike Rowe who speaks a lot about this. And so there's a labor market answer to this is that, that you could look out in any state, any region, look at the unemployment rate. There's a lot of folks out there that could benefit from a better understanding and changing the way they perceive the opportunities in this industry. And, and that's a marketing that, that goes right back to marketing 101 and just you know getting uh, associations, not necessarily individual employers, but associations out there to get the, the the information out there about what the benefits are, what what the and not just about pay. I'm talking benefits about in alignment with your ikigai. Right. I'm talking about the benefits of of be a contributor to your community and be an example to your kids, um, not just be a taxpayer. Yeah, and and uh, create 
that clear entrance, that clear path that makes it obvious for people how to get involved. And and I think, meanwhile, every day I'm talking with, you know, at least five, maybe six different uh, construction companies every single day, 50 to 75% of them are falling all over themselves to bring talent in at every level in their organization. And, um, and we, and we have 7 million people who, who, who aren't, who aren't, you know, successfully finding jobs. That's a great, and I, and I can't even imagine how many other people, uh, who hate what they're doing. <laughs> That's right. They call it now the the great reshuffle. You know, there's a lot of people that are are cashier somewhere and they don't want to be a cashier anymore. They'd much rather be outside and doing. So, so yeah, we're in the middle of that great reshuffle right now. There's never been a better time to get out new messaging or to dust off the old messaging we abandoned 10 years ago and really start promoting with tenacity um, the opportunities we provide, the the well-being and the self-efficacy, self-confidence we can give to people. And for everyone listening, if you're not out there at least doing, uh, you know, at least once a quarter, volunteering for things like Habitat for Humanity and getting out there. Those are the opportunities that middle school kids sometimes will go to. We need to get, if I were king of the world, Chad, and my wife likes to remind me, I'm not. But if I were every middle school kid would go out there and do Habitat for Humanity so they can see geometry actually being applied and they can get excited about erecting a wall and running pipe and running wire and, and understanding how that, that those systems all work together. Um, and those those experiences can really light a fire inside them and, and create a, a, a desire to go into this industry. So I'd say anything you could do to make sure everyone in your community does something like Habitat for Humanity, um, that also is part of the long-term game that will pay dividends down the road. Outstanding. Uh, Stacy. I brought you back on. We've got a little over five minutes. Um, what do we got? Okay, so <clears throat> I had a question for you. You were talking, I love the actionable plan because I sit in a lot of these workforce development discussions and we're so stuck on just career day and having volunteers um, represent our industry in career day because we don't know how to go above and beyond that really. So I love the tips that you gave and the fact that it's a three to five year game or a 10 year game with the state policy. Um, So I'm thinking what the contractors would want to know, who needs to sit on the school board meetings? Is it, we have a recruiter that usually works uh, with a contracting firm workforce development person or the owners or all three? I don't know. Like who would you assign that role to? All three. You each take a month. Have the CEO in January, the recruiter in February, have the HR person in, in March. I mean, I would say everybody. Um, there's. Imagine how powerful it would be. You're, imagine you're a school board member. You want your, you know, you're, you're running your local school. Imagine if a CEO came to the podium one night and said, I have 18 jobs that are going unfilled in our community. And you're not producing from your school workers that are interested in my field and I pay 30 bucks an hour. Like how piercing is that when they hear that t- month after month after month after month repeatedly every, from, from one industry, eventually they're going to get so, you're going to browbeat them kindly uh, and, and always be kind, right? But you're, you're going to eventually, you're going to guilt them and embarrass them into responding and at least having a conversation about what they're doing to prepare students for um, uh, for the build trades. I, I think every high school should have at least two apprenticeship programs, every single high school, union or non-union. And, and if your high school doesn't, that's a really easy thing to point at and say, hey, we got thousands of jobs in the community. Why don't you have even one apprenticeship program in your school district? That's hard for them to defend. And eventually they're going to start getting people galvanized around that to figure out, okay, we should have at least one apprenticeship program. Uh, the apprenticeship model is not 
new. Jesus Christ was an apprentice. Um, this is not a new model. So why doesn't every school in America have at least one apprenticeship program? When you start asking those kind of poignant but polite questions, um, I, then they start to respond. So I would say, great questions, Stacey. I'd say all of them. Everyone take a turn with a slightly different angle at it. And you get five or six of your other company buddies in the same community do the same. Don't let a school board meeting go by without someone being at the podium asking them to respond uh, to the industry. Um, and I bet about four to six months in, that's when you'll see some traction. Nice. Awesome. So I, I just read, uh, Stacey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, just no, read a, no. I, I just read a comment that I had to call out. I, so I, I read this comment that said, some of us should go back to high school and be guidance counselors. <laughs> I saw that. I love that. Yes, Gregory. Yes. I, you know, here's, here's my thing about guidance counselors. I love school counselors. Yeah. I love their hardworking warm people, but I think less than 10% of them have ever had a job outside of being a school counselor. Right. So we have to recognize who they are. They went to school, they got their bachelor's, they got their master's in counseling, then started working at the school board or, or the school district. They don't know what they don't know. So they're, 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 they're incentivized to get them just to commencement. I think maybe, maybe we should have a buy a school counselor, you know, take a school counselor out to lunch day or something and help them see, you know, what's going on in the world and help educate them. Cause I, again, hardworking, good people, but they don't know what they don't know. If, if you're looking to retire, I would absolutely encourage you to go back and be a school counselor. Uh, that, that's certainly one way to infiltrate uh, the system. You, you can't change the system if you're not in the system, as a mentor of mine used to say. You can't change the system if you're not in the system. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's my biggest takeaway uh, you know, in terms of personal involvement as a parent, very easy to make a presence at uh, school board meetings and, and, you know, get an opportunity to speak. I think that makes a ton of sense. Two hours a year. That's all we're asking, Chad. Awesome. Yeah. Stacy, what else we got? We got probably time for one more. Um, I don't see any questions. Lots of great, great comments. Um, we can get into the three giveaway questions. Ooh, thank you. Yes. All right. All right. I didn't want to do it during the discussion because it was so good and I just thought it was inappropriate, but, um, <laughs> good, good call. I don't, I have my gauge on what's appropriate. Stacy well, is terrible. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. So. I'm with you. I didn't want to take this off topic. Um, so let's do the first one. Kevin has generously said he would give away one of his children's books that he published. So with, with that being said, the first person to respond to this question, how many books has Kevin Fleming actually published? Ooh, someone had to be paying attention for that one. Yeah, wow. I like that. There's a little trick in there, too. There's and a trick in there. I don't know how many people joined us in the very beginning. Yeah, you had to be there for the first 10 but minutes. You might as well just guess. The first two minutes. <laughs> Some educated guesses. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> well, they know it's at least one, or else you wouldn't ask the question, right? Exactly. <laughs> nope, not two. Try again. <laughs> Good guess, Mark. <laughs> Very close, though. Come on, guys. Hey, oh, and there oh. it was. Caitlin's got no, it. Oh, come on. Uh, Caitlin. Yeah, Caitlin's got it. So, all right, Caitlin, I'll contact you when you have one of Kevin's children's books. And then remind us again, Kevin, when is your fourth book going to be published? November, right? Yeah, next fall, it'll be called, uh, tentatively in entitled, There's a, uh, excuse me, a Life After Twelfth, and that'll equip parents with the conversation points to help their, their child uh, really have success in alignment with who they are with life after commencement. Okay, cool. 
Two, uh, two more questions. So, um, Stacy, Stacy, yeah. I apologize. I'm gonna have I have to call this one thing out. Is it? Uh, I, I totally forgot that we have uh, like a solid 30 second delay uh, from the time we say something to the no. time that we the, the time that people see it, and then the time that they type. So, um, he, here's here's what I'm gonna propose: is that you okay. pop them in the chat afterward, just so that we don't uh, have two minutes of awkward waiting <laughs> you know, <laughs> up. and so so uh watch watch the chat box right after this guys watch the chat box right after this stacy's going to pose uh two questions the first two accurate answers we will uh be hooking up with uh your choice of uh giveaway stacy what are we doing we're doing mugs yeah, mug some swag we'll give you from from the morning huddle. But the next question is the first person to name two guests that we had on our first season so far. All right, cool, good. So we'll we'll pop them in the chat. We'll handle. You're going to put those questions in the chat, Stacy. Yes. Yes, I just put it in the chat. Wonderful. All right, Kevin. I can't thank you enough for being here, spreading a really really important word. Uh, it was uh, wonderful to have you. I hope that we can do this again, maybe in November next year. The timing would be good. I like where you're going with that. Yeah, let's right. let's let's, uh, let's plan for it. Thank you, yeah. Chad. Thank you so much, Stacey. Appreciate you both. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, guys. We are off next week. Um, we are uh, taking off the weekend between Christmas and New Year's. We're gonna uh, reload and and get ready to rock for the first week in January. Uh, our guest the week in the first week in January is Marissa Bankert. She's the executive director for Central Pennsylvania's Independent Electrical Contractors Association, who's going to be joining us to talk about attracting women to the trades. So, uh, you know, similar kind of theme here, which is how do we get more awesome people involved in the building industry? Uh, specifically, Marissa's got a great story of her success in attracting women to the trades. So don't miss it. We look forward to seeing you. Happy holidays. Stacy, anything to say as we wrap up? One more question. Uh, which topic haven't we covered yet? The first person to respond correctly. <clears throat> A, acquisition, B, small business, C, cybersecurity, or D, contact roles? And there might be a little bit of lag here. There will be. We'll get it. We'll, we'll get it in the chat. So my husband tried to respond to the one question, but no, he does not get a prize. <laughs> so Libby, yes, you won. This All right, one. Libby. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Stacy, do you mind? Do you want to hang out? Is that what you want to do? Um, yeah, I just want to wait for you the last one. She has to give somebody. Yeah, I get it. I have to. So which topic haven't we covered? A, acquisition, B, small business, C, cybersecurity, or D, contract, contact roles? Oh, we got Matthew. Correct, Matt, Matt won. All right, Matt, you get some goodies coming your way. All right, guys. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays, and we'll see them in January, right? Yeah, January, January, uh, whatever that is, fourth. What the first two? Back at our normal time, same bat time, same bat channel. Okay, great. Thanks, right, guys. See you guys. Thank you.